Well, the first thing I want to say is well done for braving the cold. I didn't think we'd be any of us here today. It's just so incredibly freezing. But, but welcome to St. Martin the Fields. A warm welcome, I should say. Special welcome to those slumming it at home in front of the fire. Well done. Good choice. Uh, it's a slightly different Great Sacred Music this week because rather than... T- <coughs> hearing three or four pieces in the middle, as we usually do, we're just going to hear one piece, Rejoice in the Lamb, a poem written by Christopher Smart, who lived throughout the middle years of the 18th century, and he composed this poem while he was in an asylum because he spent much of his life with significant mental illness. It's a poem that celebrates the way everything on earth praises the creator and it is notoriously eccentric as you'll pick up as we when we hear it in a few moments time it was set to music by benjamin Britten in 1943 in response to walter hussey's invitation to compose a piece to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the consecration of st matthew's church northampton well it's our tradition of great sacred music to start by singing a hymn together and if you've got the sheets uh, that you can find at the very back Uh, Now is the time to turn to page two, and we're going to sing Rejoice the Lord is King, which uh, has a well-known tune um, written by Handel, Handel who played the organ in this church, where not long after this church was opened, not this organ, uh, I should say, but this church. Um, The librettist for Handel's Messiah was Charles Jennings. He lived at Gopsall Hall in Leicestershire, where the Messiah was composed, as you may know. In 1826, Charles Wesley's son Samuel found three hymn tunes by Handel in the Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge and named one of them Gopsall. It's known as the hymn tune with the spelling that is actually correct, even though you think it isn't correct. Charles Wesley was inspired to write this hymn by uh, Ephesians chapter 1, which speaks of how the Father set Christ in the heavenly places and put all things under his feet. And if you're familiar with Eucharistic liturgy, you'll recognize that the refrain is taken from the response at the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer, lift up your hearts. One commentator calls this the greatest of all triumph hymns, not least for the concatenation of scriptural images. So if we we remain seated, the voices will stand and lead us and we'll sing together. Rejoice, the Lord is King.
how to introduce this extraordinary piece, Rejoice in the Lamb. I guess the first thing to say about it is any attempt to make sense of it is doomed to failure. So best not to take ourselves too seriously as we listen to this and try to make sense of it. But just to, to give you a sense of the shape of it, it starts with a chorus of Old Testament characters, including Nimrod, the mighty hunter. Then we have a soprano solo contemplation of the poet's cat, Je cat Jeffrey, and the animal's awareness of his maker as if the cat is being teased with a ball of wool. Then we have an alto solo praising the virtues expressed in the mouse, which I'm sure you gave a lot of thought to this morning before you came here. Then we have a tenor solo praising the flowers as the poetry of Christ. Then we have a complete change of mood in a choral piece uh, in which the poet compares his oppression with that of the imprisoned Christ. Then we have a bass solo where the letters of the alphabet each praise God, and you have this sort of panic that the, it's going to go through every single one of the letters of the alphabet, but it only actually ends up treating about three. Uh, and then we have a huge uh, parade of musical instruments from another chorus finishing off with a Purcell-like hallelujah. So what do we make of the whole? Um, well, clearly it's a recognition of the seriousness of mental illness and yet the beauty that can speak even through a person uh, uh, in the throes of profound mental illness. There's clearly a sense in here that he doesn't want to be in an asylum because that comes through in the choral piece in the middle. If you like, there's a sense of irony that the scattergun nature of this, the scattered nature is, is a, in a sense a, a, ref, a reflexive critique of all our attempts to order our thoughts about great things in creation or great things in God because we think we're so much cleverer than um, the, the composer of this piece, but in fact, you know, maybe none of our attempts to describe the divine or describe the ineffable are any more coherent than this. Uh, I think overall, it's a wonderful celebration of the diversity of creation, um, the, the eccentricity of God, if you like, uh, and the, the fact that all of us can perhaps find, whether it's Jeffrey the cat, uh, or, or whether it's the identification with the imprisoned Christ or anything in between or the mouse or the flowers, there's something for everybody in here and there's something great, wonderful and embracing which fits the theology of Walter Hussey who um, commissioned the piece, who was a, a wonderful mid-20th century churchman with expansive tastes who would have made a very good vicar of St. Martin the Fields, I think. Let's enjoy it together.
Well, after that eccentric but nonetheless comprehensive uh, vision of the whole of creation glorifying God, we're going to sing together again now a hymn to the same effect, rather more direct in the evangelical style. Frances Jane von Alstein, better known by her maiden name Fanny Crosby, wrote 8,000 hymns and songs, which became the linchpin of the tradition of revival music associated with Moody and Sankey's songbooks. Uh, she lived to the age of 95. She was blind from birth. Uh, publishers were reluctant to have too large a preponderance of hymns from one author in their hymnals, so she used 200 pseudonyms. How did she remember all her own names? Anyway, it worked. 
According to her biography, a biographer, had it not been for her affliction, she might not have had so good an education or have so great an influence and certainly not so fine a memory. There's only one way to sing a hymn like this, and that is with gusto. We shall remain seated. The voices stand and lead us as we sing to God be the glory. If this last half hour has warmed you up in soul as well as body and you're grateful, there's an opportunity to make a donation as you leave. Uh, do come back next week for Great Sacred Music or join 
our sister programme, Choral Classics, on Sunday at 3.15 here in the church. We're going to finish this celebration of Benjamin Britten's compositions with Two Daffodils, which is a poem by the 17th century English poet Robert Herrick, one of 1,200 poems that appeared in Herrick's only book of poetry, Hesperides, in 1648. It's a poem that mourns and ultimately accepts the brevity of life. The poem's speaker pleads with spring's withering daffodils to stick around until the sun sets before declaring that human lives are just as fleeting as those of the flowers. Benjamin Britten's Five Flower Songs is a 1950 set of five-part songs to poems in English that mention flowers, which he wrote to commemorate the 25th wedding anniversary of Leonard and Dorothy Elmhurst, celebrated botanists and philanthropists. Thanks for joining us.